Aloha my Kako, everyone. Welcome to episode 23 of the Moana Nui podcast. My name is Moana, your host here at the Moana Nui podcast. I am also the author of um, The Adventures of Nakoa and Nohea children's book series, as well as the Wild Card Chronicles um, comic book series editor. And then I am joined by my amazing co-host to my right today. Yeah, to my right. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm Dana with Danique Events. I am a con and cosplay photographer. A lot of you may know me as being one of the staff photographers at any of the conventions like Dragon Con, MomoCon, Anime Weekend, Atlanta, and more. So we look forward to you enjoying today's podcast and our upcoming guests. Awesome. Yeah, guys, Dana is an amazing photographer. And if she's ever done pictures for you, you know, be appreciative, holler at your girl and and spread the word. Tonight, we are excited um, to have a an amazing guest. It's a, a dear friend of mine that I met a couple years ago. I believe it was at BlurredCon was our initial um, meeting. Uh, met through a friend, Patrick Strange. Shout out to Kuya P. Uh, Christian O is an academic, a social media guru, an event producer, filmmaker, and talent manager who has been active in the Asian American community across the United States for over 17 years. He currently chairs the board of the DC Shorts International Film Festival and is the president and executive director of the DC Asian Pacific Film Festival. He's produced and directed many award-winning shorts, music videos, commercials, and public service announcements. Christian also loves producing events and has helped numerous organizations, including the Korean Festival of Maryland, North Carolina's Korean Festival, Chorus Festival of Virginia, and the Korean Center Incorporated of San Francisco with their successful first annual Bay Creek Chuseok, I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong, festival this past October. Christian was also an adjunct faculty for the Asian American Studies Program at the University of Maryland, where he taught ethnic studies in film, video, and social media. His studies were at George Washington University Documentary Center, and he also interned at film festivals, including Canes and Sundance. Christian was born in Seoul, Korea, and was raised in Iowa, Ohio, and Virginia. But he now makes his home in the DC area, which is how I met him. So with that great introduction, let us bring Christian onto the show. You guys, Hello. that was too kind, too kind. So glad to be here. Aloha, mahalo, all that, so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, aloha. Uh, thank, aloha. Thank you so much for, for making time for us tonight. Oh, sure. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Um, awesome. I'm very excited and uh, congrats on this. You said this is the 26th episode? No. 23rd episode. 23rd, yep. 23rd. So congrats on that. Thank you. Thank you. So let's start off by how's about you telling us a little bit about yourself? What are your origins and your roots? And sure. how did you find yourself in media and film? Um, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I'm the oldest son of four boys in a very Korean American family. My father wanted me to be an engineer like him. And I ended up, you know, I was a good student in high school growing up in, well, we first came to the country, we were in Ames, Iowa. So we were the only Asian family in like a thousand mile radius. 
So it was very strange being in Ames, Iowa. And then uh, we moved to Cleveland, Ohio briefly. And then we ended up in Southern Virginia in a town called Roanoke, Virginia. And I went to high school there. I was the only Asian kid in a class of 500 students. Um, and I had friends who were black, friends who were white. I just didn't know where I fit. So it was really <laughs> strange growing up. But then I ended up getting a scholarship to Penn State. And in my sophomoronic year, I switched majors from the School of Engineering to the School of Arts and Sciences, not knowing that I would lose my scholarship. So oh. my father, basically, he was getting these late tuition payment notices. And he's like, what the, what the heck? And I'm like, oh, dad, I forgot to tell you, I switched majors. Like, well, I'm not paying for out-of-state tuition. You're dead to me. You're no longer my son. Get out. So I ended up packing everything in my car. Um, I got accepted to UVA, William Mary, and George Mason. Ended up going to George Mason. I was homeless for a good three months living out of my car. So wow. um, it was a tough time for me. And um, finally got a job at the Gap in Fair Oaks Mall and then um, found a place to live. Thankfully, a, a very kind gentleman had me um, rent out his basement that had a cot in it. And obviously, it was not the best ideal living conditions, but I survived. And then I um, went on to get my uh, other degrees. I did get a filmmaking degree from uh, George Washington University. And um, I've been to every school named George, which is so weird. George Mason, Georgetown, George Washington. The only school I haven't been to is Georgia or any school in Georgia. So um, it's interesting that I've been to all these different schools and then taught at University of Maryland. And um, I'm actually by day, my Clark Kent, I'm an IT uh, technical trainer by day, but my, my Superman um, alter ego is that I really am very passionate about the creative community, whether it be entertainment, music. Um, yes, I'm also very passionate about the Asian Pacific American community, but it all culminated, I guess, when I got into, before the film festival stuff, there was back in 2010, I created the chapter of a Asian American talent competition that started out in LA called Collaboration with a K. And it was for basically an avenue for Asian Americans to show off their singing, their dancing, and other skills. Um, it actually launched the careers of like Far East Movement, John Cho, the actor. Um, it also launched the, uh, the the careers of like a lot of your YouTubers. Um, uh, to name a few would be um, Kina Granis or um, who is it? Uh, the other one is um, why am I? David Cho. And so a lot of these got their starts from that. And then even the Jabberwockies and the Kinjas, uh, they started. They got their start at that at that um, uh, those talent competitions. So I'm really when I left that in 2014, that's when I got back. I came back to the uh, film festival side, and I continued to want to help develop and promote Asian American artists. So that's why I continued to do so. And then I got involved in all these like ethnic festivals, whether it be um, Asian heritage festivals or Chinese festivals or Vietnamese, but then I'm Korean American, so it easily gravitated to Korean uh, Korean festivals around the country. So that's how. I, and then you and I met because Patrick. Shout out to Patrick. Um, Patrick and I we know each other through. Um, he was doing um, a cosplay nonprofit group, and I wanted to maintain that creative continuity. And I'm a I'm a I'm a, I'm a comic book geek and nerd as well. Um, I wanted to make sure that 
we found opportunities where we could collaborate. And that's how I met Patrick and, and also being in the film, the local film community, trying to find ways to help other local actors and filmmakers to develop their craft. And so, and then we got to meet at BlurredCon. I mean, you know, the funny thing with conventions, I don't know if this name rings a bell, but I remember meeting a gentleman back at my first anime. It was either Anime USA or something. Uh, I forgot the name of the convention, but uh, I don't know if you guys know Asu, um, Asu, gosh, what's his last name? I forgot his last name. Asu Tyrell or Tyrell. He, he goes by DJ Asu. He used to be a, a DJ, but he actually had an anime sto store out in Springfield. And that's how I got into the anime world and really just, you know, obviously been going to a lot of conventions, which I know we all miss, but that's me in a nutshell. I don't know. I hope that answered your, your introductory questions. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Now, um, with you being born in Seoul, uh, South Korea and raised in the U.S., how have you utilized your upbringing in your work and how did you find a home as your as a young man growing up in America? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, because I came here at such an early age, at the age of two, and then when we got to Ames, Iowa, I remember, like, I, I clearly remember when I was like five or six years old, my father said, do not speak Korean in the house. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that was weird. I said, why? And he's like, because I have been discriminated against and prejudiced because of my accent. So he's like, you're going to watch English TV, I mean, American TV, you're going to read the American books and newspapers and everything. And so he really pushed on us that we wanted to assimilate. And so I, I you know, to that degree, um, my Korean, I can speak, I mean, if you drop me in Seoul right now, I can walk around and, and talk, but my reading and writing is like second grade level. And so I blame my father that I wish I had maintain my language skills because then it could have opened other opportunities especially you know with the popularity of k-dramas and k-movies and 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 k-pop um mm. but growing up in all these different rural areas until we until i moved here i really hated being sort of korean i mean i didn't embrace my identity i was like you know i remember i was being the kid uh, in elementary school that I would bring kimchi to school and people like, ew, what does that smell? What is that? You know, it's like <laughs> I got picked on. And then I, it wasn't until much later, like when I got to college, I was like, shoot, I need to embrace my, my cultural background and my, and my ethnic, eth ethnic cultural identity. And that's when I started doing so. And then obviously, I mean, I love Korean food. I love Korean drama. I'm not a big K-pop fan, but I, I did do a lot of K-pop events. Um, and so it's, uh, it's been an amazing transformation and journey for me because of that identity or trying to find that identity and then ultimately helping others. Um, I have a lot of friends who are Korean American adoptees. I'm not an adoptee, but I can relate to their, um, first of all, the absence of their culture rate being grown up, I mean, raised being raised, and then later trying to find out or connect to their culture so I have a very similar experience, so I can really relate and talk to them. So um, I think that's what really shaped me now as being part of that. You know, people always go, well, do you consider yourself Korean or American Korean? Or, you know, first of all, I consider myself just American. And then it's Asian American with obviously Korean roots. Um, I had posted something on, on um, Instagram or Twitter or something where it showed that my roots are from Korea 
but the branches and the leaves and everything were raised here. So I, I definitely adopt, I mean, I definitely embrace that. So it's been, it's been an interesting journey. My, you know, my, like I said, I had a difficult relationship with my father. Um, it was me trying to connect back to my origins. And mm -hmm. I think we all do that. I think we all, you know, now that we, we should be embracing our, our cultures and our identity, not trying to discount it or try to say, no, I mean, it would really suck if I was a Korean guy that didn't like kimchi, you know, so, <laughs> but I do love it. I mean, it's just, it's interesting how I've, I've adopted and, and really embraced my, um, my background. So. No, I, I think that's a good point because I mean, I found myself in similar situations too. like, you know, I asked my mom, I'm like, why did we ever speak Hawaiian? Right. Like, well, you never wanted to. And I'm like, yeah, but it's part of my, our culture. Like you should have forced me, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, very similarly, um, didn't really start to really be interested or, um, you know, actively seek out more about the culture until, you know, I was in college. And that's when I started to learn some of the language. Very much like you, like, it's very minimal because I don't really have people to speak with. So they don't <laughs> practice, right? Um, but yeah, that, that's a great point. And I think that's probably something that a lot of people have struggled with, um, you know, from that generation and the, all of the discrimination that they um, experienced. So um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, that will be changing in a positive direction, um, you know, as we start to go forward. Um, so if you had to give a TED talk on Korean history and culture, right. what are the top three to five things people should know? Um, I think the, the top three to five things, well, Korean food is not just barbecue. That's number one. <laughs> Everybody assumes it's just Korean barbecue, you know, you go and grill the meats and all that, but it's more than that. There's, there's so much breadth and depth of Korean food. I mean, not just the kimchi, not just the, the, the stews, or there's the, the one thing that I will say that people don't know is that um, the number one meat in Korea is pork. It's not beef. It's not chicken. Um, they revere the pork. I mean, the pig, mm -hmm. and um, that would be number one. Number two, I think uh, the second thing they need to know is that Korea, um, how do I put this? Korea has been a country that has been, you know, always subjugated by invading forces, whether it be China and then occupied occupied by Japanese. And then um, later, not that the U.S. is an occupation, but the, the control that the U.S. had after the Korean War for the country, right? Um, obviously, we had uh, the Korean War, which divided the country. But even way back when, like, it was invaded by the Mongolians and um, and also um, other factions that try to get into Korea. So it's been a country that's survived all that. And now it's a tech giant. It's there are cell phone uh, innovators. They are you know all the technology and the cars that are coming out there has been amazing. So that's number two. And then the last thing um, I think is the um, on the cultural side is that K-pop and a lot of people don't realize this, but K-pop we have to thank the Chinese for really promoting K-pop in the early years. People don't realize that a lot of the Korean videos back in the day, like in the 90s, there was no platform for Korean videos. But the Chinese loved the melodramatic music videos that they were producing in the Korea, and they started showing it on a channel called, um, this was almost like 
Chinese MTV. It was called Channel V. And you would watch Chinese music videos, but then every now and then they would sneak in a Korean music video and it'd be like, oh, that's a great you know, visual or a great story or great tune. A lot of, mostly it was ballads, but then you had your, your, your pop, you know, your pop bands or your boy bands and your hip hop groups are coming out. And then it still really started taking off um, closer to 2000. And then obviously within the past, gosh, I can't believe some of these groups have been around since, you know, 20, 20 2009, 2005. So over 10 years in terms of the growth of, I mean, Gangnam Style started and then uh, who's it? Um, Wonder Girls and and 2 p.m. and 2 a.m. All these groups, um, uh, Big Bang, Super Junior. Now you've got BTS and Blackpink dominating the the mm -hmm. pop charts, even here in the United States. Yeah. So it amazes me. I think I think the third thing is that music, the way that music has transformed the globe. But we do have to be thankful because you know Chinese population is so huge, but they were definitely the first promoters of K-pop music. So. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about education. Right. Uh, you have been a professor of Asian American studies uh, with University of Maryland, where you taught ethnic studies in film and media. What were some of your favorite topics to teach? Oh, that's that's an easy one. Um, with that film and media, we I actually created a project where they had to, and this was this has been a while now. Let's see, when was I teaching? 2013, 14. So it's been a while, but. I remember, you know, remember cell phones like the iPhone 4 and, and the 5 and, and all these, you know, phones that have phones, I mean, cameras on them and video recording. I remember telling them in class, I want you to make a five-minute video. And so they would make a five-minute video using their phones or if they had a nicer camera, I said, whatever phone camera or whatever camera you have at disposal. And for them to pick, pick an Asian-American sort of topic and 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 write direct and shoot the film and then edit it and then they had to show it in class so that was like their capstone project of the class so i really enjoyed that um because it allowed you to see i guess diasporic stories i mean i don't know if you guys have been watching lately what's been happening in hollywood but there's a film right now called minari with steve un from walking dead oh, yeah. and it's just blowing up because you know, it is a Asian American story, even though um, some of the um, Golden Globes or whoever it is, they they said, oh, it's a foreign film, but it's really not a foreign film. Just because they're speaking Korean does not mean it's a foreign film. It's set in Kansas and it's the immigration experience. Uh, hopefully the Oscars will get it right in terms of nominating it as best picture, not best foreign picture. Because um, it, it would be like the same thing if a, if a Hispanic family living in LA or East LA and they're speaking Spanish most of the time in the movie. Is it really a, is, you know, a Spanish movie? Come on. So I think what really, for me anyways, teaching at University of Maryland is there are so many stories that we don't know that is relative to everyone, whether you're, whether you're white, whether you're African-American, whether you're, you know, Hispanic, there are stories that are universal. And I think we need more of those. I hope more of those come out as we find out that you know it's not about where we're from it's what we've experienced here in this country and a lot of times we lose sight of that i'm there i'm going to plug another documentary there's a documentary right now that's making the circles it was actually produced executive producer was ridley scott you know who that oh, is wow. alien, alien you know um mm -hmm. prometheus i mean all that but Many, yes. he, 
he um, helped produce a documentary called The Donut King. And The Donut King is about um, the immigration experience of Cambodian Americans. I don't know if you guys know this. I don't know if you've lived on the West Coast, but all the donut shops up and down California were run and owned. They say 95% were run and owned by Cambodian immigrants. So you had the Winchells, that was a chain out there, Winchells Donut Chain. They would actually, because the the sort of um, trustworthiness and, and, and hardworking of these Cambodian immigrants, they easily got these franchises or these stores and they started just populating everywhere. And there's a guy there, I think his name is Ted, who was the donut king. He helped bring immigrants from Cambodia, especially during the Khmer Rouge and, and the whole genocide. He helped a lot of them start businesses as donut shop owners. And to this day, there's so many donut shops. You've got, um, there used to be part of the chain and there was another chain called Christie's, but now a lot of those donut shops have been, you know, reclaimed or not reclaimed, but they were bought out by the owners and they would personalize them. You know, everything from DK donuts to this donuts or, and I remember going out there and eating at a donut shop maybe about two or three years ago. And I'm like, damn, this is a pretty good donut. And Dunkin' Donut always had a hard time competing or trying to enter the market. So sorry, I'm going on this long tangent about this, but it's really, right. about, it's really about the immigration. I mean, the immigrant experience. And I think it's a wonderful film. And again, these are Cambodian Americans trying to, you know, try to reach that um, the American dream. And we are a country of immigrants. I mean, I know the past year has been difficult with with all type of racial divide and everything. But mm -hmm. we even, you know, even even the first colonials are immigrants from yes. England. And people don't realize <laughs> yes. that, that the only people that were truly native to this land were the Native Americans, right? Mm -hmm. And even them, they get, they get, you know, marginalized and everything. So, you know, these are indigenous people that have been here, and yet we don't really understand that the culture of America is a mixing pot. I mean, a melting pot. And so we don't, we don't realize that. And a lot of times we're looking to how do we, how do we segregate ourselves or differentiate ourselves? And that's a bad sort of perspective. And I'm hoping films like Donut King and Minari and um, other things, there's even um, an animation film I'm really excited about called Raya and the Last Dragon. I don't know if you guys- Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> wait for that film. I Me mean, too. Again, we're talking about other cultures that are being represented. I mean, um, I don't want to talk about Mulan. I mean, I have my own reservations about Mulan. <laughs> but, but, but again, I want more of this. I really want more of this. So as a film person, as a film festival person, I hope that we can continue to tell these stories of Asian Americans and Asian Pacific Americans and you know Pacific, Pacific Islanders. I mean, you know, I have friends in Guam and, and Samoa, and there are stories that need to be told yes. and haven't been told. So I'm hoping at some point they are. And, and like you, Moana, just like you said, in terms of Hawaiian stories, I'm sure there's a lot more Hawaiian stories oh, yes. other, than, other than, you know, just the animation stuff that's out there, Disney. I mean, there's yeah. gotta be uh, much more amazing stories. I mean, I remember showing a documentary almost eight, nine years ago. It was called The Men of Hula. You know, usually Hula is considered a very feminine. Yes. People don't realize there are men of Hula that, you know, I'm not talking about the New Zealand, um, what's it called? The, Haka. Uh, yeah, Haka. But Haka. the hula that the men do, incredibly poetic, incredibly beautiful. Yeah. And mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know that. 
know? Yeah, and a lot of people don't know that hula actually started with men. It wasn't with women. And it was was like, um, it was a way for them to train their warriors. Like, yeah. And and there are groups out there who still treat it that way. Like they're out there, you know, like, like you are training for battle and that's how they choose their dancers. And they were they were the most fiercest warriors. I remember yep. reading some history that because of that training, that that localized group mindset, they mm-hmm. were able to, you know, fend off invaders, and it was amazing. So mm-hmm. I would, I, I'm hoping somebody will write a story and 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 film it and produce it. So we'll see. yes, I, I, I'm trying. I'm trying to bring more. <laughs> <laughs> I would. There are some people I would love to partner with, you know. So yeah, hopefully, keep fingers crossed. We we definitely need more of those stories for sure. Yeah. So um, another thing is that your organization works to provide arts education opportunities uh, with particular outreach to APA youth and adults. Um, tell us a little bit about that work with the youth, and what do you want them to take away from working with you? Oh, great, great question. Um, now, mind you, any nonprofit is difficult to maintain. Um, we are a 501c3 nonprofit and um, we're all volunteer. I mean, none of us get paid, not the executive director, not the festival director, not the program director, it's all volunteer. So the hardest thing is obviously finding the human power or the human capital to maintain it. We've been around since 2000. It was started by, um, I think it was like four or five people that just wanted to a platform for Asian American like I said, diaspora stories, right? Um, sure, you have your Hong Kong films, now you've got your Korean blockbusters and all the and Chinese films, but there weren't a lot of films about the Asian American story. So they created this film festival back in 2000. I didn't join until 2006, where I started being an Uber volunteer, and then I became the um, a sponsorship chair, and then I became the uh, what is it, basically the president of the organization and started really building it. We used to be a two-week festival, um, but then, you know you know how DC is, it's very transient. People come, yeah. stay here for a little bit, and then they go, whether it's because of a political reason or yeah. work reason or even social reason. You know, they get married and then they move on to somewhere else. So we had a, we've had a lot of turnover, and we went from a two-week film festival to a four-day festival but last, last uh, May, we pivoted because of Corona. We became a month, month-long festival, but it was a lot of work. So we're pushing our festival. We were supposed to try to do it in May, but I think we're going to push it to July because we want to keep it a bit more contained and curate a lot of our films. So we're trying to figure out if we can do it in July. I don't have the exact dates yet, but we were, we're shooting for July. Um, back to your original question about the youth. So since 2000, we've always wanted to help foster the filmmaker community, the Asian American community, and then kids with a camera. We used to have a a program called POV, Point of View, where we would actually train kids to how how they can use like cameras and and create the shots and editing. And they would create films and we'd show them at the festival. Now, mind you, we don't have the resources anymore. We don't have the money. We don't have the, the people. So that has sort of dissipated. We did two years ago, we did partner with the Smithsonian Asian American um, uh, Museum, and we actually did a, um, uh, a program for Asian American youth so that they would learn all the aspects of filming and writing and editing. And, and the focus was on Buddha. 
And so some of that stuff is still, I think it's still available online somewhere on their site uh, where these young kids had created little short mini documentaries about Buddha. Um, and then re more recently, you know, like I said, we've gone undergone so, so many changes and transitions. We're trying to figure out ways that we can still engage the community. I'm big about mentoring. So now it's really about mentoring. And I'm also big about, there's an organization called Asian American Leadership Empowerment and Development. And we partner with them many times to provide some mentors and guidance. Um, I don't know what it's going to look like this year. We have a new festival director. We have a new board with a lot of new board members. Um, and as you can see, we really can't engage students because of the pandemic. Yeah. So we're trying to figure out other ways that we can pivot. Um, I would love to, you know, if I could, if I had the time and the, and the bandwidth, I would love to teach young filmmakers how to how to you know how to start you know technology's gotten so cheap now i mean even this webcam i'm using is an hd 1080p you know there's so much free i mean cheaper technology for mm -hmm. kids to and youth to start making films even the iphone what is it the iphone 12 max they say it's mm -hmm. like a it's like a, a a camera i mean like a professional camera in your hand i don't have that one but you know again there's a lot of capability and editing apps and stuff like that online that kids can do. I mean, anyone can be a filmmaker now, you know, and the editing programs and, and the, the access. I mean, look at what TikTok is. TikTok is a film, you know, sort of application, <laughs> you know, even though you have some crazy stuff out there, but you know, you, you make the, you make the short little, what is it? 30 second clip. I'm not on TikTok, so don't try to find me on TikTok. But, but again, you see what I'm saying, right? It, it's, yep. it, it's how can we inspire kids to create and TikTok's one way. Um, there's a new app now called Clubhouse where yeah, it's yeah. all vocal. So, I mean, there's just so many things coming down the pipeline. I mean, I'm, I'm like thinking back, gosh, 10, 15 years ago, it was such a struggle to buy a video camera, an expensive one and, you know, HD and, and tapes or, or DVDs or whatever it was. I mean, it was a lot different back then. Now it's so much easier so much easy to i mean there's been full-length films shot on an iphone and they've won academy awards so mm -hmm. why not i mean i think so sorry i'm rambling again but back to your original question we're trying to figure out ways to help provide instruction inspiration motivation for the youth we just don't know what that is yet in this new corona environment so now um, one of the goals for apa film is to encourage and promote artistic development of APA artists of all creative arts. Yes. Tell us about one of the fa your favorite projects that you've been involved in within the last three years. All right. Um, we just we just celebrated a sort of sort of a ten year anniversary of um, I think I, I mentioned the collaboration DC, which is the Asian American Talent Competition. But there was other organizations that are no longer around that were part of the AAPI. Um, community. I don't know if you've ever heard of an organization called Sulu DC. They were focusing on spoken word, music performances, musicians. Um, so we, so a recent project back in Sept, it was September. The collaboration DC, you know, celebrated its ten years. And so I talked to a lot of the, um, I guess, key people that were part of these organizations from collaboration from Sulu DC. There's another woman named Weeping Yap who. Um, she's been doing the Asia Heritage 
festival downtown DC where she blocks off Third Street to Sixth Street um, near Constitution Avenue. And mm. she's been doing that for like 10, almost over 10 years. So I wanted to get people to say, hey, what's changed you know, since then and now we're in the corona environment, we're not able to do those type of events per se. Hopefully we'll eventually get back to them. But that was a really enjoyable project. And back to your, your initial uh, comment, yes, for us it's raising awareness or raising APA talent, well, not just talent, but the media and talent to new heights. Um, I remember, and, and I'm sure you know you, you guys might relate, it's that we don't see enough of the representation, especially even in my community of friends and, and people that I engage, we don't see that enough on television, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not talking about, you know, there's exaggerations, there's stereotypes. I'm talking about the real, true mm -hmm. personalities and people that are out there. And I want more of that. And especially if you're a musician or if you're a filmmaker or you're a spoken word artist, um, we don't see enough Asian Americans in sports even. And that's changed. I mean, we had Jeremy Lin, we had Yao Ming, we have, you know, we have Heinz Ward, who is half black, half, half Korean in, mm -hmm. uh, in Pittsburgh football. I mean, we've got more, there's more coming. I just want it to be, I want the floodgates to open. And I want more of that in all areas of whether it be athletic or artistic development. Um, I want to see the next Asian rapper make it big. How come it's just, and again, I'm not trying to sound, you know, divisive, but why is it just African-American rappers or you get your white rappers that are out there that are making the big money, you know, Machine Gun Kelly. And, and I love Eminem. I'm a big Eminem fan. I mean, Eminem, but where are the Asian-American ones, right? Where are they? Why aren't they being represented? Why aren't they being, I mean, because they're just as talented. I mean, to name a few, I mean, there's a, there's a guy from Seattle named Gordon Tsai. Uh, he's known as Gifted on West East, and he's an amazing, brilliant rapper. There's He Sun Lee, who, you know, I also help manage and, and, and promote. She's a Korean-American adoptee who's the wife of a NYPD officer and a mother of two children, and she's been rapping in the game for nine years. But guess what? She doesn't rap about, you know, bling and booty and all that. She's a positive role model for girls, for women, yet she can't get to that next yep. rung on the ladder. Because you know what? If you're not dropping the B word or the N word or whatever, you know, a lot of people don't want to listen to you, right? Mm -hmm. But she doesn't feel like it's necessary. Neither does Gordon. I mean, I mean, go out, out on the West Coast. It's, it's about, we need, I mean, I hate to make a beeline here to Reddit and the stock issues that are happening, right? But if that many people can get support and get around on trying to change or disrupt the system, why can't yeah. we do that with music, film, and even podcasts? I mean, there should be this sort of garnering of let's get together. You know, if we can yeah. change the system, if we can change people's, you know, they say it's very hard to change someone's mind, but if you can change their hearts and their perspective, maybe you'll change their minds. Maybe mm -hmm. you'll even change a vote. You know, mm -hmm. when we talk about elections or voting in your own districts, if we can change that, I think it, it becomes really powerful. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sort of a complainer because it, you see this stuff happening in Reddit and the stocks. Why can that same sort of mentality and, and um, what is it? Um, uh, uh, what is it? Amassing the masses. Why can't we do that with music, film, and everything else? 
And, and it's great that you mentioned because, I mean, two of our previous guests that we had on here are de of Asian uh, rap artists and uh, music artists of Alan Z and Jason Chu. Oh, yeah. uh, they've been on there. And it's like, even though they have music with major projects like uh, Cinemax's uh, Warrior and uh, Wu Assassins on Netflix, a lot of people don't know the people behind that music you know, mm -hmm. who the faces are. And it's, it, you know, we got to have that push, try to get them out there because they're, they're these multiple talented people, uh, very socially aware, bring social awareness into the music about, you know, everything from xenophobia to, you know, voting to everything else. But like you said, they're not getting the push and the representation. And, but then you also have the other side, like we've heard from Alan Z is, the music world wants to conform the Asian artist to be a certain look and feel, right. and they right. don't get to have that individuality. So they have to step out outside of that box in order to really be their own entity and be their own flavor that they want of representing not only their culture, but the things that they're, you know, of social awareness. Now, I'm just going to this might be a little controversial, but I'm going to say there's also what I hate is that why does Alan Z have to be associated with an Asian show? Why yes. can't Alan Z's music be associated with any type of show? Because right. his music is good. I know Alan, he's a good friend. Yeah. If his music is good enough, why can't I associate it with, you know, Law and Order or NYPD or what? I mean, why does it have to be Warrior? Because then that you're just perpetuating the the not the stigma but the connection yeah. to being asian i got to be part of an asian show that's stupid mm -hmm. in my opinion i am mm -hmm. important like for example for a woman like he sun lee i could easily see her and her music on a show like empire or on a yeah. show like power with um who is it um uh, 50 cent and all them right yeah. just because she's asian there doesn't need to be an asian connection she's got a song that's because she's from staten island new york she grew up in the bronx Mm -hmm. I she's got a relative, you know, connection to whatever mm -hmm. it is in these shows, and that's what pisses yeah. me off. It's because oh, we got to get a we got to get an Asian rapper because this is an Asian show. That's that's not that's yeah. not the best thinking, in my opinion. I mean, and a lot of people have disagreed with me about that, but again, yes, I do want to promote it. If mm -hmm. you know, if a, if a if Alan Z has a song on, let's say, Godzilla or some Asian aspect movie right yeah I'm, i want to promote it but why does it just have to be that it should be universal you know that's exactly. what i'm saying yeah absolutely and his, his music is definitely a universal you know he's a universal artist it doesn't matter asian right. black white hawaiian american whatever you know it's right. you can connect to his music that's no doubt whatsoever <laughs> yeah so i agree with you on that point so we'll switch just a little bit, kind of. Um, in 2020, you know, the world had to start with moving events into the virtual um, to keep arts and entertainment going. How have you adjusted your production to virtual events and how have you helped other organizations to do the same? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I remember, I, I, wanna, I just wanna give you guys some background. I remember in January when it was starting to get scary, right? People were talking mm -hmm. about and then we, you know, I even feel, and again, this is just my personal perspective, but I feel like I, I had already had it 
because I remember traveling back and forth to Montreal for work. And on my fourth trip back, I got hit with the most worst flu-like symptoms. I was in my bed five days. I felt like I was dying. So mm -hmm. I, I feel like I already had it. But the reason I'm telling you this is that it shined a light because especially when we had lockdowns and people were scared, how do we pivot? And that's what came to mind because um, I actually had a friend of mine, I'm not gonna name her name, but she called me from uh, LA and she's like, Christian, I don't know what to do because I'm a photographer. I lost all my gigs. There's no gigs happening, no weddings, no birthdays, no events. I'm not, I'm not shooting anything. She's like, what can I do? And I'm like, well, we need to start thinking outside of the box. And so I said, hey, do you have a high power scanner? And she's like, yeah. And I said, you know how to use Photoshop and After Effects and all that, right? She's like, yeah. And I said, well, then you need to shift what your main offering is. And she goes, what do you mean? Instead of offering to take pictures, offer to digitize, offer to color correct, offer to fix old paper photos, mm. you know, get rid of the white spots and all this. I said, if you know how to do all that, sell that as your, as your, as your bread and butter. And she's like, oh my gosh, I never thought of that. And I'm like, girl, if you can't be behind the camera, then think about ways of doing things you know, with the results of the camera. Um, I said, if you can do video editing, you know, maybe somebody has a birthday video or a music video or what, edit. You know, I said, there's, it's not super difficult. And so she's, she was able to pivot and she's gotten better and she's gotten some, now that things have sort of changed here and there, she's, she's getting some gigs, but California is still very strict under, under a lot of conditions, county by county. And then I have another friend who's a bartender but have you ever been to one of those bars where, and he's in New York, where you go and the guys are like flipping the bottles and pouring, you know, it's like cocktail. I don't know if you remember that movie. That <laughs> yes, might yeah. That <laughs> yeah, but he does all that. And I said, dude, are you working? He's like, no, I'm like, no bars open. And I said, how are you making money? He goes, I don't know. I may have to move back with my parents. And I'm like, all right, brother, this is my idea for you. Teach people how to do that stuff. And I said, mm. what do you mean? I said, all right offer the first lesson for free on YouTube or whatever, and then start asking for a subscription basis so that you go into the higher tricks or how to make a kamikaze or you know whatever. Teach them and then have a subscription process, whether it be on Instagram, whether it be on YouTube, Facebook. And he's like, wow, Christian, that's a great idea. I don't know if he did it. I haven't checked in with him, but <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm, I, I think we need to pivot. So back to your original question about my organization, when we came to, it was like February or March, and our film festival's in May, we're like, what are we going to do? We can't have a festival in person. So that's when we pivoted to make it an online festival, but then we took on more than we could really do. We made it a month-long thing, but it still it worked out. We were able to make it happen, but then we realized for this year, we're not going to make it a month-long thing. It's just too much. We need to figure out a better, more strategic, more set dates. Um, so we've decided that it's going to be like a 10 day festival and we're trying to do it in July. Uh, other organizations and other film festivals have all pivoted. I mean, I don't know you guys know, but Sundance is happening right now. South by Southwest is coming up. Um, you guys know that a lot of the comic cons have pivoted to virtual. Um, it's not easy because guess what you're missing? The revenue. Guess what the people and the connections that you want to make. And then I'm, and then of course the shopping, 
I want to go, you know, I'm sure you guys are the same way as me. I mean, you can see on the back wall here, I've got a bunch of different stuff in video games galore, but I, I like to shop. So not being able to do that. So I had to wait till they posted on their website and the merch and they're like, it's not the same feeling, you know, it's not the mm -hmm. emotional buying that you have when you go to a con, <laughs> you know? And so, um, but pivoting is very difficult, obviously. And then hopefully, I don't know, I have an epidemiologist friend. She's been in the research of diseases for 18 years. And she goes, Christian, I know this has been a tough time for a lot of people, but she's not worried about this one. She's worried about the next one, meaning, and I don't mean to scare anyone or make anyone feel like doom is coming, but you know, what if the next disease is even more aggressive than this one? Meaning, if you just get touched, you die. You know, like we're talking about bubonic plague or, you know, Ebola-like things. That would be scary. So I think we need to be as cautious as possible. We need to, you know, this country's always been about freedom and independence, but sometimes those lines blur about yeah. my personal freedom and the sanctity and safety of everybody else. Yeah. Um, so like I said, we'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic about the vaccine and things will be better, but I think we have a long way to go to be out of the woods, nor nor will we be back to that normal day-to-day -day operations, whether it be festivals or cons or whatever. I think we've got a long way to go. Yeah, definitely. Now, since you mentioned about the pandemic hurting a lot of the art community, um, as the president and executive director of the Asian Pacific Film Festival, what have you done to kind of to help keep APA film thriving between when you're working on the festival and the rest of the year? How you keep it thriving in this new environment? Um, I have to say I'm very thankful for the mayor's office and the DC Commission on Arts, Arts and Humanities. Um, they've been providing a lot of grants and mm. I think I, I overheard you guys in the back when I was backstage in regards to 501c3 and applying for grants. There's a lot of money still out there. Mm -hmm. And if you don't apply for it, you like you said, who are they going to give it to? It just gets wasted, yeah. right? Yeah. So for us, we've been very lucky and fortunate that we've been able to apply for grants because our, our 501c is based in D.C. Um, and we were able to apply for grants and get grants to pay for the festival. The other thing is we save money because I don't have to rent out a theater. I don't have to, <laughs> you know, pay for flights and things of our filmmakers. Right. So I'm sure the cons are the same way. If they've got yeah. special guests, they don't have to pay for flights. They don't have to pay for food, lodging, the, 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 uh, rental of the venue. I mean, think about like the Baltimore convention center in Otacon. Oh, I mean, they're yeah. not spending that kind of money. They are saving money, but then also they're not bringing in, any income, right? So mm -hmm. thankfully, the the the, um, the grants have paid for a lot. Um, we do try to do other events in the year. Like it's the festival is not the only thing. If I can um, help promote, like so, for example, we did a, a online free screening with A24, who is the um, production company for the movie Minari. We did a free mm -hmm. screening online. We only had a hundred slots, but it was a virtual screening online. Um, and we didn't, it wasn't about making money. It was just providing this as a service. So to stay relevant within the, within the community, within the, the film sort of viewing world, we try to do other events. Um, we, you know, typically we always do a big Christmas 
toy drive and we had to change it virtual. So we had to create like a gift list on Amazon and have people donate or buy things off the wish list to have it donated to the um, mayor's office on Asian Pacific Islander Affairs because they have a lot of, you know, um, low income or, you know, uh, underprivileged kids who don't get a lot of toys. So we wanted to make sure. So again, we try to do things with the community. We've worked, we've partnered with other festivals, other organizations, um, but you're right. It's not always easy to stay in the minds and hearts of, of people within DC, um, especially if you've got a lockdown or nothing's going on or nothing's open. Um, back to your other question with the, with the performers or other artists, you know, if they're not performing, what are they doing? So hopefully there's live stream or podcasts like this where they can come out and perform and expose their talent to the world. Uh, I hope there's more of that. I mean, someone asked me about K-pop concerts. Yeah, well, the, the other issue with that is not just the safety of travel, but how do you monetize a Blackpink concert or not just monetizing it, but how do you make the experience good enough so that it makes me feel like I'm at a real concert. A lot of times, uh, you're, I don't know if you guys have watched any virtual shows lately, guys, but it's like, okay, I, I, it feels like I'm just watching it on TV, right? It's not yeah. like, it's not that interactiveness that you really want, you know, or with or interacting with other fans. You know, it's amazing how fans, will, you guys know, I mean, even at cons, you, you meet people and you gravitate them and you like, yeah, I love this anime or I love this, uh, you know, sci-fi thing or whatever. I mean, it's great to meet up with fellow like-minded individuals that love the same stuff that you do, but we don't have that and it's harder. So um, we'll see. I mean, again, I'm, 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 I'm optimistic and hopeful, but I don't think it's gonna be happening immediately again, so. Sadly, I have to agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, either that or we create our own type of, like, like for example, uh, I've been on some, uh, and I've also been doing this. It's like a potluck music video watch party. Right? Oh. I, I people, it's private potluck, and people bring a music video, like two or three music videos, and we just share them online. I think that'd be a great idea to do, like maybe um, a potluck action figure. I, I was going to suggest this to Keith Chow or to Patrick. Maybe you do something where it's like a Zoom, and like this is my favorite action figure. Well, this is my favorite action figure. <laughs> I, mean, I think I think it'd be cool to do something. At least we can interact with other like-minded individuals. Um, I haven't really thought of this through how I would execute this, but again, I mean, there's got to be other ways we can pivot and interact with each other. You know, not just through Zoom, not just through you know what is it, WebEx or Google Hangout or Facebook. You know, there's got to be other ways. So, so we we talked a little bit about you know film festivals and you interned at Kane's. I think I think I'm saying that can, right. Can, yeah. I can. It's just like yeah, I can. Coca Cola can. Yeah, can. <laughs> and um, Sundance. What was that experience like? Oh, that was amazing. I mean, well, my two favorite experiences, not just Sundance and not just Can. I was also in Venice, uh, Venice, oh. Italy. Um, so my 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 Can experience when I was in France, that I got to meet like Michelle Yeoh. I got to meet. Um, uh, Nick Nolte and a bunch, and then I actually, we actually had the assignment while we were there because it was a um, an internship with Adobe. We had to make a short documentary, and so we made a short documentary about being at Cannes and seeing all these celebrities. Right? Um, I remember. Do you remember Brian Singer from X Men, the yeah. original director? 
he was there. And I remember, you know, taking pictures and stuff like that. So it was really cool with Ken. But Venice was more amazing. Why? I got to be the gopher for Jackie Chan. Oh. Meaning I had to go get stuff for Jackie, like go get him a drink, go get him this, you know. And my my roommate, we were we were stuck in these little hostel type of room. Yep. And my roommate, he got to be the gopher for Zhang Ziyi. If you know who she is, she's the girl from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, or she was in yes. Rush Hour Three, the Asian, yep. the very skinny Asian chick that was kicking butt. Well, anyway, yeah. he was saying he was like, and I don't speak Chinese, right? Because Jackie speaks English, but Zhang Ziyi was just complaining all in Chinese to him. And he's like, Christian, please change with me. She seems to be somewhat of a diva. Switch with me. I'm like, no, I don't even speak Chinese. You speak Chinese. You're better suited with that. And so um, Jackie Chan, he was the nicest guy. What I mean by that is that here I am trying to serve him. He's like, oh, Mr. O. And he called me Mr. O. He's like, Mr. O, did you eat today? He's like very concerned about a lowly gopher. And I was like, like uh, yes, I did. Thank you. And he's like, well, you know, and he was just super, super down to earth. I mean, he's not, he doesn't have that star yeah. it, ego that a lot of people do. And so that was an amazing experience. Um, Sundance Tribeca, because it's, it's more um, American. I mean, I met a lot of different interesting filmmakers and, 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 and people, but I remember, was it Sundance or was it, no, it wasn't either of those. It was, I was in LA for another internship with Warner Brothers and I was at a party because we had just wrapped. Do you remember that movie Click, which was about a magical remote control that Adam yeah. Sandler had? Uh -huh. So I was a I was a PA. I mean, my there's no credit because I was number one, not paid, and I was a college student. So they just they just they had all of us PAs do work on that. And I remember we went to a party afterwards, a rap party, and guess who walks in? Um, Jared Hess. I don't know if that name rings a bell, but he is the writer, producer, and uh, director of Napoleon Dynamite. Ah. Okay. And then later on, Nacho Libra and other films he's done. But I, you know, I don't know if you know this, but the story is, and again, this is what he, I was told. I, I can't. I'm not. I, I don't. I want to make sure I'm not telling any false information. But he, I was told that he had created a short film that MTV had seen that was about Napoleon Dynamite and then they turned it into a full-length feature film. So my big question to him was like, how did it feel when MTV said they're gonna pay for a full-length feature film? He's like, Christian, felt like winning the lottery. I um, I couldn't believe the amount of money they spent on music licensing, because there were songs by Jamiroquai, Green Day, I forget the soundtrack, but there was a lot of big names. And I'm like, wow, they must have spent just over, you know, 250,000 just on the music of that yeah. uh, album, I mean, for this film. And he's like, yeah, I was really, really lucky. And then that propelled him to go on to other films. But the reason I bring that up is that experiences change your perspective so much. And being on set with Adam Sandler or being in a room with all these other filmmakers, it just, it just changes your perspective. And yeah, you know, you always say, I'm not where I want to be right now. I mean, I haven't made my full length film, but, but at least it, at least it still inspires you. And I'm hoping, you know, because I'm getting old, I'm old now. And I, I feel like there's so much I still want to do that I haven't done. But if I can't do it myself, then I inspire the next generation. And hopefully, yeah. like you, like, you know, like we were talking, 
hopefully more Asian representation happens, more stories about Asian Americans happen. I mean, if it's not my, if it's not my um, destiny to do that, then I'm hoping that the next generation will. And especially if somebody listens to this podcast and like, wow, that was inspiring. I, I'm going to go make a short film or make a feature length film or write a screenplay or write a song or rap song, whatever. I just want to inspire people. And um, I, it's not, it's not about me making a million dollars. It's not about me for having a million followers on IG. That's not my goal in life. My goal is to, I want to be able to help promote the, the diaspora stories, the Asian American culture, the, um, and make connections. And I, mm -hmm. I and that's why, you know, Moana, I, I really value our connection, you know, even though we don't speak every day, yeah. it's not like we're BFFs every day, but just when I see your Facebook posts and the things that you post and, and I'm like, puts a smile on my face when you post something interesting or cool, and then I get upset if you post something that I'm upset about too, that you're <laughs> upset about too, you know, I love that. And, th and that goes the same with Patrick and a lot of the people that we know. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's really about how can we be somewhat and I'm not a super religious guy. I mean, I was raised Catholic, but how can we serve each other? How can we really mm -hmm. help each other and, and be cognizant that we are all, you know, there, to me, there is no divide. We are all the human race and we need yeah. to make sure that we are taking care of our brothers and sisters on this journey or on this canvas that we call life because it can mm -hmm. end tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, you guys, I don't know if you guys have been directly impacted by anyone dying of COVID. I actually have. I had a friend who was younger than me, 35, and I had seen him in October, and then I find out that he passes from COVID in Jan at the beginning of January, and that just blew me away. And I was like, wow. And he, I didn't know he had, I didn't know he had an underlying condition of, of, of the worst case of diabetes, whatever, I think it's type two, but he, he just passed. And I was just like, wow. So life is short. Um, as we get older, it gets shorter. So we got to figure out ways that we can continue to strive and thrive and inspire and motivate. And, and that's me. I mean, I'm not a, uh, like I said, I, I'm a pretty approachable guy. Um, I'm not looking for fame or fortune. It's just whatever I can do to, to help. So, you know, you wear a lot of hats. Yeah. Um, what drives that's, that's... you <laughs> to not only stay active, but also be a leader in in these spaces yeah but you know it's funny though dana i don't want to be like for example people go like for example with all those festivals that i've done and all the other events i don't like to be in the limelight um i'm actually an infj if you know what yes. you are I'm an IFJ because i'm actually i'm a introvert but guess what happened at the age of 15 and eight months I got my permit to go work, right? A worker's permit, right? And I started selling knives. And again, this might date me, Cutco knives door to door. To door <laughs> if you remember Cutco knives. Yes. And I ended up making good money selling knives. In, and this is in Roanoke, Virginia. So imagine an Asian kid coming up to your door saying, I've got these incredible knives that I'd like to demonstrate <laughs> for you. And then you know, eight times out of 10, slam the door. Boom, boom, right? But I still became a top salesperson for them. So what I'm saying is I learned how to be extroverted. Um, it's called, and I should write a book about this. I think there's no, I don't know if anybody's ever written about it, but I feel like I am a situational extrovert. So yep, depending yep. on the situation, like yep. if, if I'm at a con, 
I don't want people, I really don't want to be around people. But if somebody goes, hey, Christian, <laughs> what is your thoughts on the new Batman and Harley Quinn film? I'll go up, I'll talk because I'm passionate about it, right? Mm, and I yeah. want somebody to hear my opinion or my side of things, but that's because of the sales background. I mean, I've done knife sales, uh, vacuum cleaner sales. I was a, um, I told you I, I, start, I had a um, job at the Gap as a stock inventory guy and then became a store manager of two different Gaps, uh, one in, one in um, what is it, Fair Oaks and the other one in Seven Corners. And then I got into automotive sales. You want to talk about high pressure sales and using sales tactics? I mean, and I think everyone in life needs to do waitressing or sales or something because yeah. you learn skills. And it's not just skills for sales, but you learn how to promote yourself, be confident, know how to speak. Um, you know, I've taken I've taken Toastmasters classes, so I'm a really good public speaker. I'm an MC. I've been a moderator for panels. So I mean, again, but deep down inside, and this is between us and, and anyone watching this, I'm really an introvert. I really don't want to talk. I don't want, but it forces me. And then also, I don't know if this is true for anybody else, but you get fueled by it. Especially, mm -hmm. I love talking to you guys because you guys are easy to talk to. I, I want, you know, I enjoy your company and your faces and your smiles. So again, it really depends on the situation. I mean, I'll go and, you know, sometimes my wife will say, why didn't you talk to anybody at that party? And I say, I just didn't want to, you know? <laughs> you know, I mean, because usually I don't want to engage. I want someone to engage me. Then I start coming out and the situational Christian comes out. And it's like, okay, what do you want to talk about? What do you, I'll talk about anything. <laughs> yeah, so. I can totally relate to that. And I'm glad you said that, you know, by putting yourself in that like uncomfortable zone, it teaches you new skills. I mean, that was one of my anxieties about doing this podcast too. Like, oh my God, is anybody going to care about what I, you know, what I talk about? Um, you know, how am I going to get guests for it? And, you know, the folks who I, I view as my mentors were like, no, nah, just go for it. I think it'd be really good for you. Um, mm -hmm. It's something that you're passionate about and the people will come, you know, oh, like, man. and I was like, all right, I'm nervous as hell, but okay. <laughs> no, but if you build it, it will come. No, the other thing, the other thing I think is interesting is that, you know, we we tend to gravitate to people that will sort of mentor us. Like growing up, I never had an Asian American mentor, not at all. Mm -hmm. Most of my mentors were black, white, or non-Asian, right? I mean, other mm -hmm. than my parents, but um, I feel like there needs to be more mentorship in the ethnic communities, not just in the Asian community, African-American community, you know, Hispanic community. Because a lot of times we're, we're, we're all trying to climb ladders, right? And I'm not saying mm -hmm. based off of greed or fortune, but we're trying to climb the corporate ladder. Or we're trying to climb the community ladder or whatever ladder. But we never look behind and go, oh, I see a Chinese-American or I see a Hispanic-American or a Jewish-American. He's climbing the same ladder. Let me help him up the next rung. We don't do that enough. You know, mm -hmm. it's all about me, 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 me. Yes. And we don't think about, well, what if there's a younger person, a person who's struggling, a person who's had difficulties in life? Can't we yeah. try to help them up the next rung? I mean, I think we need to do more of that. And I'll tell you, it's been, I mean, I, I'm mentoring several different younger people now, but I find great reward when they find the success or they yeah. become more successful than me 
<laughs> I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm their biggest cheerleader because I, I'm not a jealous person. I don't want to get jealous that, oh, this guy became a filmmaker, bigger filmmaker than me or bigger. Than, it doesn't matter to me. I want them to be successful. And, and I'm hoping that they will pay it forward. Mm -hmm, right. Yeah. But I can't teach that. I can't demand that. I'm just hoping that they will. But because, you know, because that's what I want to do. I want to be able to help motivate, support, you know, and, and, and help people come up the ladder. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, Trust me, I'm no saint. I'm not a saint. But, you know, <laughs> I, I, I want I want to be as helpful as possible. I mean, we all have our our idiosyncrasies and and our faults. But, you know, whatever I can do to help, you know, and that's why yeah. I think I'm so that's why I think I'm so passionate about the film festivals and the Asian American community and all that. So, Yeah, definitely. I mean, we all have strengths and weaknesses. We're all human. You know, there's things that we're good at, the things that we're not good at. But I mean, that's that's the greatness of, you know, engaging and collaborating with people is, you know, um, coming into, you know, into a space where you can be free to learn from each other, you know, like even doing this podcast with Dana, like she and I learn from each other. We learn from the guests. Like, I mean, we learned a whole bunch from you tonight, you know, and everybody that we get to talk to, it is such a pleasure because I'm very much the same way. Like when I'm at a con, I mean, I have to like put my extrovert on because like I'm promoting our comic book, but like inside I'm like, Oh my God, this is so draining. I can't wait till this is over so I can just like have quiet yeah. my brain again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it definitely pushes pushes you out there. But it, it's very much in a good way, and I encourage everybody to um, to not be afraid to use your own voice. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. And yeah. you you have to speak up. I think a lot of times, too many people get intimidated or scared yes. to, to to speak up. So, you but you guys, I, I have to say, you guys have been. This is what you guys are doing, and the professionalism. I've never heard of this particular. Uh, platform Steamyard. This is yeah, really really cool. Yeah. Oh, Streamyard, Streamyard, Streamyard. Yeah. yeah. So very cool. Thank you, thank you. Alrighty. So, um, what future projects are you working on? Oh. And where can we? What can we expect from APA Film in the future? Okay. Well, like I said, we're going to have our Hope Festival hopefully in July. Okay. Um, we are we are trying to support what we call we call them gold openings, meaning making sure that any Asian American film or Asian American story that comes out, we want to support it. So Minari releases on February 12th. Yes. So if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. It'll tug at your heartstrings. The young little kid is amazing. And of course, Steve Yuen, he's going to be nominated for best actor. So hopefully he wins that. I would love for that to happen. Um, and then uh, other things that are coming down the pipeline. We're, I'm not sure what's happening for Lunar New Year. It's sort of late under the gun, but February, 12th is also Lunar New Year weekend. Oh. Um, it's the year of the ox. And um, I know that a friend of mine, his name, and this is his his um, stage or, or manager name. His name is Kubla Khan, all right? Yes. And he, um, he is promoting a, um, a live sessions. I don't know if you're familiar with sessions, you know, on Twitch or whatever, but he is doing a Lunar New Year event with like 180 different Asian American artists to perform. So I'll send you that information. Please. Um, and then um, May is Asian Heritage Month. I don't know what's going to happen because it's still, you know, Corona. I mean, the spring. Um, we want to be involved with the Cherry Blossom Festival if we can because we support that. And then, um, and then obviously, 
I want to go to cons. I want a con to be open. Even if it means we have to wear these rings that keep us separate. <laughs> that's just an idea. Hula hoops. Bubbles that, that was like popular a year ago where you put yourself in a bubble and you could spin or yeah. I don't know if you've seen those on TV or movies. Maybe we need to buy those and, and just go and bubble, be bubble people in a con. <laughs> you know, hey, so. someone said it for a concert already. They did did a bubble concert. Uh, I forgot what oh, really? it was. Everybody was in bubbles, including in the audience. So, That's yeah. Awesome. That's awesome. So, again, like I said, I miss cons. And then for me personally, um, I'm, I'm still, you know, like I said, I'm promoting a lot of these artists. I have a DJ who plays EDM, hip-hop, K-pop. Uh, oh, from nice. Seattle. His name is DJ Mubeck or DJ Yup. Um, so trying to figure out ways that we can get him out on the, on the, uh, you know, on the virtual space. And then I'm not working on any films, but I am supposed to be shooting, helping someone shoot a music video, a local, uh, oh, nice. a local artist. Um, and it's too preliminary to talk about it, but we'll see if that happens. And then um, my friend, Brad, who's an amazing, if you ever need a sound engineer, He's a Grammy award-winning sound engineer that lives up in uh, Dunkirk, Maryland. Um, but he's Grammy award-winning because he's uh, it's in the gospel um, genre of music, but he'll do any music. Um, he and I are embarking on, you know, you asked about pivoting. There's a lot of theaters, not, not movie theaters. I'm talking about plays, musicals, you know, yeah. those that are hurting immensely. Uh, I have another buddy, uh, his name is Chil Kong. He runs the Adventure Theater up in Maryland. But this other theater, I'm not going to name the name right now, but we're trying to figure out how we can help them live stream their opening night performance oh, nice. and then record it so that their donors and their sponsors, they can watch it on demand whenever they want. Oh, nice. So we're, we're trying to figure out, because I am a, a Zoom expert. I use Zoom every day. So we're trying to figure out how we're going to stream it. If we're going to use Zoom or a different type of casting uh, environment. And Brad is an expert on that, the uh, sound engineer. So that's my next project. So we'll see. And then I want to be able to help other people if they do want to do a, a show or a live show, figure out ways to do that. I mean, I have a, you guys should definitely interview um, the, there's a hip hop duo. There are two Filipino boys or boys, men, sorry, not boys, two Filipino men named uh, uh, SNRG, which stands for some never really get, like some never really get culture, some never really get music. But no. SNRG, Bo and Aaron Canlas, they are from, they, they live in Fairfax, but they used to have a, um, a radio broadcast in the Philippines called the Pogi Point. I forget what Pogi means in, in, in Tagalog, but Pogi Point. And um, they would be an amazing guest for you. They could perform and they could probably, and they'll tell you about their connection to Crescendo Studios which is in Fairfax. If you need a studio to do anything, they're the they're the, the studio that's currently looking for um, more opportunities to help artists and, and people. So I'll definitely pass that along with you guys. Uh, I know you've got another good. guest coming in about 15 minutes, so I don't want to monopolize <laughs> your time, but I do want to say thank you both to you, Moana and Dana. You guys are incredible. I will definitely be listening in more now that I know where you are. <laughs> um, but again, I appreciate the honor and the time and the privilege for me to come out here and, and talk with you guys and, and let's stay connected. Definitely. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on and just sharing 
your energy and you know everything that you're doing it's it's so impressive um you have a a, a vast body of work and i just love how you're helping others to pivot and think outside of the box um you know during this time so um with that said again guys thank you for tuning in and listening in please be sure to follow christian on instagram and twitter at jean well, it's, it's, it's Christian. Oh, let, me, let me explain why it's X I E N. This might date me again. Do you guys remember when Christmas used to be spelled Xmas? Xmas, yes. Yeah, so that's why it's Christian. Oh, get it? And yes, of, I know I did. Of, I think I'm Chinese. They're like, isn't that a Chinese name? It is. There's a city in China named X I A N. But yes, like, no, it's not Korean. I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be clever, but it doesn't always work. So, <laughs> so yes. All but right, yeah, guys. Well, be thank sure you. Christian. Be safe, be healthy, and be vigilant, as I always say. So, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. All right, guys. All righty, guys. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, be sure to follow the Moana Nui podcast at moananuipodcast.com. We're also on YouTube. Please subscribe, share, tell your friends because we have a lot of amazing and talented, talented creators on the show. Yeah. Take care, guys, and we Bye. will see you next time. Malama Pono. Hey.